Well, grace and peace, brothers and sisters, whether you're in the room or watching by Zoom, I want to give a shout out to my roomies and my Zoomies. Show you a picture this morning before we jump into it. This is what I see every Sunday morning when I come to work. You'll see this is my office right behind the baptistry there. And if you see the lower part of the screen, every single Sunday morning, there are three breath mints waiting on me. And it's a mystery to me who drops those breath mints off, but it's a, probably a sign from God for my personal well-being and hygiene is that a compliment or an insult do you think and i think our service host this morning i baptized her at 11 o'clock is probably responsible for those mints on my desk every morning what a tender relationship nick thank you so much for that appreciate it it's you and it admit you're here for me i appreciate that nice touch from uh from the right hand guy nick crawford appreciate you uh so much hey, i want to begin with a question and i want to pepper this sermon with this question and how do i say this I want this question to like, uh, it's not just me asking you the question this morning. I like want you to ask the question uh, today in, in your life and maybe take it with you. Here's the question, super important as we close out Joseph. How would your outlook on life change if you believed God was with you always? What would that, what would that mean if you really believed that he was with you always. We're in this series, as I said, closing it out today. And Joseph, it's a story we meet him when he was a boy. And this boy, we see him slowly and painfully, in some respects, become a man. And we notice this about Joseph, that he had a 13-year detour in his life. He was a favored son in a dysfunctional family. He was a brother that was sold into slavery and he went from a favored son to a wounded brother to an inmate to a slave to an inmate to a prime minister over a nation and here's what we're learning about joseph what a clarion call for you and i what a a point of possible inspiration for us that joseph was faithful he was faithful as a favored son in a dysfunctional family. He was favored as a wounded brother. He was favored as a convicted criminal, faithful as a convicted criminal. He was faithful as a slave, as an inmate. He was faithful to the very end as a servant with, with Pharaoh. He was faithful and he was one who finished well. For some aspiring to leadership, for some who are in leadership, for some who are around my age, and I represent, I guess, somewhat of the older demographic at Fondren Church, that's terribly unfortunate on several levels. But I think more and more about how will I finish? Will I finish well? And Joseph, we've learned this, if you're just tuning in or here for the first time, Joseph is roughly one of about 20% of people in the Bible who finish well. Is that sobering? And so today, if you're attuned to national, international, global news, if you see leaders falling, if you see people that we have respected that have taught the word and led in churches and they fall and are unfaithful and their lives implode or explode, the majority, it seems, do. And so what can we continue to learn from this life of Joseph about faithfulness no matter what, about finishing well even though you're a little bit 
in the minority. I want us to start today in where we'll finish this whole series in Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at verse 15, then we'll look at, I believe, 18 to 21 here. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15. We'll start at the end and then we're going to work our way back to it with a bit of a recap as we close it out today. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. We looked last week and it gets heavy. It culminates this week at chapter 50. Remember if you're going to, if you found me hard to follow along with, just read on your own Genesis 37 to 50, find a study aid, a commentary that can help you there, but learn this great story in these chapters of Genesis. You could argue the most important book on that side of it all. And Joseph, there's this intersection of this is what could happen. Because you see, what would happen if Joseph didn't believe that God was with him always? He could have fallen into a deep depression. He could have played the victim. And then what would have happened? His story would have stopped. I hope for you that your story doesn't stop. That you will let God continue the work that he's done. Nick asked us, what work is he doing? God desires to work. Sometimes it is real, it's visible and tangible, it's there, it's almost audible, it's so real. But other times, you don't feel like the second song that we sang, that God is running after me. You don't feel like he's running after you. You don't feel like when you run after him, that he's there. So here's this intersection, here's Joseph and here's his brothers. Is he going to pay us back? Very violent society a violent society remember that eye for an eye tooth for tooth remember that remember jesus comes and sets up a new system of righteousness and he says turn the other cheek go the extra mile look the other way surrender into the father's hands forgive them for they don't know what they do and this violent society it would have been the thing to do and i guess i ask you today have we advanced at all in the midst of our advancement and education and progress and civilization Are we any less violent? Do we, do human hearts change through the millennia? Or or is there anything in us that doesn't seek revenge, doesn't seem to one-up when someone does something to us? Do we escalate? This entered Joseph's brother's heart. Genesis 50, skip down a few verses, 18 to 21. His brothers also came and fell down before him. And they said, behold, we are your servants. Oh, how the tables have turned. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about. Yeah, thank you. Go back to 20. I was just going to do this. I was just going to do the flashing neon sign on verse 20 there. Is That's the verse. That's the verse that'll preach. That's the verse that we need to hear. So to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today, Joseph is in a sense a deliverer. He is a savior at the time. So do not fear, the most common verse in the Bible, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus be comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So what they meant for evil, God meant for good. Let me ask you, can that preach to anybody today? Let's back up with some chronology and we're going to work our way and finish 
at chapter 50. Let's look at this. We know in Genesis that God comes to a man named Abram. He becomes Abraham. It's, he thinks it's too late in life, but it's not. That'll preach, won't it? It's not too late. God is still doing a work in you. I'm old enough that where I got an AARP card in the mail recently. I played golf with a few younger guys, and my drive is, uh, I got a controlled slice, and it's, it's straight as it's always been, but it's not near as long. And one of the young men reminded me that I'm actually, can, I'm, I'm just two years away from qualifying for the senior tour. Okay. God's not, it's not too late for some of you. Abraham gives birth. Remember Genesis 12? Oh, so good. And God says, I'm going to bless you in the sand of the sea, the stars of the heaven. You're going to be blessed and you're going to be blessed to be a blessing. We preach this a lot at Fondren Church. It's why we give away 20% to missions local and global to fight poverty and hunger, to help mentor kids in the neighborhood, to give and to be a part of, of uh, causes that further the gospel and bring justice and love and compassion around the world. You are blessed to be a blessing. Hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. And this is going to move from a tribe to the whole world. You are going to bless the world. And y'all listen to me. Today, we're talking about Abraham. Today, he's one of the most significant humans in history. Because a promise from God. So Abraham gave birth to Isaac. Isaac, you know, gave birth to Jacob. And Jacob had a couple of sons. Here we go. Joseph. And let's just say, this is me here. Let's just say 11 other dudes. So this is the way the family broke down. So we're honing in on Joseph. Because you throw Adam in here, you throw Noah in here. Not in the lineage necessarily, but you throw them in here. And then you see, what we've learned, you have seen that Joseph gets more airtime than any of them. And Joseph is Jacob's favored son. That's why I'm saying there's 11 other dudes. And what the, just the irony there, think about this for a second. I don't think we brought it up in this series, but think about the irony there. If anyone should have known the psychological damage that comes from playing favorites, it would have been, should have been Jacob. Do you remember Jacob's favorite son? He played a favorite. And so, Isaac rather so Jacob Rachel was Jacob was Rachel's favorite and Esau was Isaac's favorite so here in Jacob in this in this tree here Joseph the favored son begins to have dreams now as a favored son he was he had a coat of many colors Jacob loved him and put him above the 11 other dudes and it, the scripture tells us that Joseph had a coat of many colors the Hebrew translation there is that it was a long coat it was an ornate robe it was off the rack of Saks Fifth Avenue the other sons the other brothers well they shopped off the clearance rack at Dollar General when Joseph entered the room his dad's eyes would light up his face would shine he had his favorite and Joseph began as you know to have dreams this is the mysticism in some degree in the scriptures but Joseph began to have dreams now we'll know the dreams are in the Bible Joel prophesied that when the spirit of God falls at different times and seasons of the life of the nation of Israel and then the church that young men and women would dream dreams and have visions and as a as a prelude to that we see Joseph is one of those people Daniel you know uh, with prophecy to the to the 70 days and the end 
end of time, he has dreams. And these, uh, I've gotten emails from some of you about a series uh, on this as we uh, try to navigate this 2020 year that we're in. But here's Joseph, and he begins to have dreams. And you remember, as a young boy, these dreams were very favorable for him. And he makes the mistake of sharing those dreams with his brother, with his brothers, his whole family. Hey, these dream, in these dreams, I'm commanding and you're submitting. You're submitting to me. And this was a problem, sharing the dream too early, sharing favorable dreams to friends and family. That almost never goes well. And one day, Joseph's brothers were out in the mountains feeding the goats, and Joseph was at home because he was Jacob's favorite, and he's playing his PlayStation Pharaoh edition. And then Jacob, the the father, asked his favorite son, Joseph, to go check on his brothers. He hops on his ATV and heads over there while they're out, stinky, smelly, working the blue-collar job, feeding the mountain goats. And can you imagine, this is my sanctified imagination, Joseph pulls up the favorite son. He's looking like, you know, they're thinking this is uh, Justin Bieber, you know, with the skinny jeans and the wavy hair, the pampered guy, the one that's the, the, the rich one, the favorite one. So they decide to throw him in a pit. And they toss him in a pit and they begin to plot his death. How will they kill him? But they, they devise another plan that they would actually sell Joseph into slavery. And after they sell him into slavery, they would... They would take his coat and they would tear it and they would dip it in goat's blood. And that's what they did. And they took it to their father and they said, dad, this is the coat that you gave Joseph. I guess he's dead. Joseph, meanwhile, is sold into slavery. His life comes in contact with a man, a powerful man named Potiphar. We pick up in Genesis 39-ish in this story and Potiphar Led, he was the captain of all the Egyptian armies. And Joseph, Joseph was faithful. Joseph could have fallen into depression. Joseph, again, could have played the victim card. But our question today, remember, what, what would the outlook of your life be? What would your outlook on life be if you believed that God was with you always? And Joseph must have clung to that. Because instead of playing the victim, what did he do? He served faithfully in the place that God had put him. That is so simple, but don't miss it today. Because some of you are not where you want to be. Joseph served faithfully in the place that God put him. So Potiphar gives Joseph a promotion. And what happens after a great victory? Even this is a lesson. When you have a great victory, what happens? Look out. Here comes temptation. Here comes an opportunity for defeat. Could you imagine that? Like you win a big game and then all of a sudden the next week you turn around and lose a game you shouldn't lose. That can happen uh, in life. It can happen with your teams. It can happen to us. In fact, it oftentimes uh, does. A little bit of therapy in in the sermon here. But Joseph, after this promotion, he's promoted and then he's tempted. Mrs. Potiphar shows up. Daniel Wagner, our 27-year-old pastor, preached this sermon, but I'll give you my version. Miss Potiphar showed up in tight jeans and high heels, walking like an Egyptian, and she said in the Hebrew, just three words, lie with me. But Joseph did not. Joseph did what we need to do and what men in particular need to do. He fled. He ran into the desert, in his fruit of the Niles, he got out of there. 
But hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And she takes a coat of Joseph's and she rips it. And to Potiphar, this powerful man, Joseph's boss and the leader, the captain of all the army, she says, false accusation, he assaulted me, he raped me. And Potiphar, in his power, sends Joseph to prison. And in prison, in prison, enters into a couple of guys that would become his buddies, if you will. A couple of servants in Pharaoh's court, a butler and a baker. They both have dreams. Y'all remember this story? And the butler has a dream, and the baker has a dream, and they don't understand the dream, but Joseph can interpret the dream. And they press him to interpret their dreams, and Joseph says to the butler, here's what your dream means. It means in three days you're out of here. You are set free. But to the baker it means that Pharaoh will have you killed. He will, his men will have you hanged, and the birds of the air will eat your flesh, and the vultures will take out your eye sockets. Fatal but it proved to be true on both ends. And the butler, before he was leaving, Joseph made a plea with him, remember me. But the moment that the butler left prison, he forgot all about. He walked into his life of freedom and didn't look back. Joseph was forgotten. One of the people he thought that would remember him and would come to his aid forgot him. Advance that a couple of years. Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh doesn't understand his dream. He's troubled by the dream that he has. Do y'all remember? It was a dream that included wheat and sheaves and cows. Let's focus on that for a minute. There were seven fat cows and seven skinny cows, and he did not know what that dream meant. The fat cows come from the river Nile, and the skinny cows ate the fat cows, and he's befuddled and perplexed by it all, but he can't let it go. And what happens? The butler, the one who was released a couple of years prior, says, I know a man. I remember a man who can interpret the dreams, but he's in prison. And Joseph is called to interpret the dreams. And Joseph says, only God can interpret the dreams. And I'm sure the onlookers are like, oh, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Why? Why would they think that? Why was that brazen and bold? Because in those days, Pharaohs, they were gods. And Joseph is saying, there is another God who is sovereign over it all. He gets pressed and Joseph gives him. He goes to God in quietness and stillness, and comes back to Pharaoh, this one who thought he was God, and gives him an interpretation of the dream that is prophetic. He says that the seven fat cows represent seven years of feast, and that the seven skinny cows represent seven years of famine. And then he looks at Pharaoh and says, eat more chicken. Not really. But he says to him, be prepared. Because when a famine comes, you'll want to be ready. And only those years of feast could potentially get you through some of those years of famine. The situation in the nation of Israel is very dire. And then we see 
we pick up in verse 45 and following where we see, we dipped into this last week, but we see where Joseph's brothers come and Joseph gets emotional. Joseph weeps loudly. Joseph steps to the side to cry and gains, regains his composure. He comes back. He recognized his brothers. They at first did not, they did not recognize him. He has an, an, an amazing opportunity here to exact revenge, to, to, to walk in a, in a bitter way and to do payback. But God superintends over that. And Joseph, Pharaoh rejoices and he's grateful for the gift that God had given this man, Joseph. For he served to save people. Those years of preparation helped. This was 10 years into it. So they were a few years into the famine and the brothers come back to buy food. And then it goes down. We get to chapter 50 of what we read. Joseph, if you'll remember some of you, Joseph, he, he had tears. He tested them. He presented them. He even spoke harshly with them. Joseph, we see, look, I say this often, the Bible doesn't airbrush its heroes. Ultimately, there's only one hero. But every woman, every man we see depicted in Scripture, we see their flaws. Some of them, it's shocking and provocative the depth, the level, the breadth of their flaws. But Joseph spoke harshly. Joseph tested them. But ultimately, Joseph got to a place where God used him to bring about the deliverance of thousands of people. A significant work God did in this young boy becoming a man in his life. So the question as we round toward home this morning is, what can we interpret from Joseph's life? Two things I want to give you this morning. The question, what can we interpret from Joseph's life? And the first is this. Joseph gives us a picture of Jesus. Secondly, he demonstrates that this hope that God is always with you. There is traces and foreshadowings of the life of Jesus in the life of Joseph. We see in Jesus like Joseph, we see betrayal. We see false accusation. We see condemnation for a crime. And we see being thrown into a pit. We see a, a resurrection from the pit. We see an opportunity to a promotion to sit on the throne to exact revenge, but instead an offer of forgiveness. For in Jesus, John 3, 17, after the most famous verse in the world, Jesus said, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. I came to give the world life, to love the world. And we see this in Jesus, in Joseph. What we see is an opportunity, I would say most supremely, we see a picture of forgiveness. What they meant for evil God meant for good. What they intended to bring people down, God intended, superintended to lift people up. There's a book that I read about 20 years ago, and I reread it every, every year. I don't know if any of you have something like that that's impacted you so greatly, show you a picture of it. It's a book by a writer named Philip Yancey. The book is What's So Amazing About Grace. It's one of the best books to learn what forgiveness really is and what forgiveness really is not. And in this work, What's So Amazing About Grace, the writer Philip Yancey, the author, tells a story about a good, good friend of his who went through a very tumultuous time 
in his marriage. And this friend would, fights would happen, and it would be loud and boisterous and painful for all parties. This friend of his would yell. And one night in particular, he tells his friend's story that he yelled at his wife in another room in their bedroom, in the master bedroom, yells at her top of his lungs, no, 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 I hate you, I'm done with you, this is over. He tells his friend's story that one night he was awakened by a strange sound coming from his two-year-old son's bedroom. He made his way down the hallway and stood outside of his two-year-old son's room to hear and even to crack the door and see that that strange noise was his two-year-old son pointing at a stuffed animal in his bed saying no 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 I hate you I'm done with you it's over no 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 shivers went through his flesh he had difficulty drawing a breath as he stood there and as he thought that his pain and his anger and his lack of grace and unforgiveness, he was going to bequeath, he was going to pass down to his children. And guys, sin itself and unforgiveness in particular is just like that. Any irony in the family tree of Joseph that one who was unfavored would turn around and play favorites any reality that the dysfunction in your home could be someone who is hurt is lashing out to hurt others what they intended for evil though god intends for good and that's the story of joseph that would be a foreshadowing of the life of jesus a book that i've just finished this week that i would recommend is this book, I have a picture of it on the screen, but I also brought it, What If Jesus Was Serious? It has a sketch artist and this author writing from the Gospels, and if you want a, a great book to read, look how small it is, and he, this writer focuses on the Sermon on the Mount. It's no secret, if you've heard me preach the Bible for much, you know that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was life-altering for me and one of the big reasons I follow Jesus uh, today. What if Jesus was serious? And in this work, he makes a contention that if Jesus was serious, then we would focus more on his good news than religious to-dos. If Jesus was serious then we would practice self-awareness, not self-righteousness. If Jesus was serious, that we would realize that many are going to be surprised on judgment day and that narrow is always the better way. If Jesus was serious, we would realize there's a difference between discerning and judging. If Jesus was serious, we would realize that you cannot judge and love at the same time. If Jesus was serious, we would read the Old and the New Testament. If Jesus was serious, we would put God's word above our traditions. If Jesus was serious, we would not add to the argument culture. If Jesus was serious, we would realize that peace, making peace is costly, but it's rewarding. If Jesus was serious, it would be about intimacy, not publicity. If Jesus was serious, image is not 
everything. If Jesus was serious, it would not be about building your platform. It would be about sacrificing at the altar. If Jesus was serious, then nobody's life is invisible. Everybody is valuable. If Jesus was serious, what you treasure the most is what will determine the outcome of your life. If Jesus is serious, we should not let fear, even a virus, dominate our lives. Nothing but God's love should dominate our lives. If Jesus is serious, then he's either crazy or he's the Christ. And here's what I want to say this morning. If Jesus is serious, you know that stuff about loving your enemies and praying and blessing for the, blessing those who persecute you? The stuff about going the extra mile and turning the other cheek is just the answer and just the antidote that we need in our world today. What do we, what do we interpret from Joseph's life? It gives us a picture of Jesus. Secondly, you saw this, but it shows us the hope that we can have if God is with us. God always being with us. Jesus was serious about something in John 13. He was serious about washing feet and doing this as an example that you and I would follow. In other words, following Jesus is not going to be lived out in a pristine sanctuary. Look, y'all know I'm about church. Y'all know I'm hoping people come back to church. Y'all know I'm hoping this virus goes away because people are losing their lives and it's serious. But I'm also hoping this virus goes away so we can gather in crowds and hug and kiss each other and have a great time together. I'm all about some church and I think it's an important routine that you need to make a regular investment in. But you know what listening to a sermon encourages? A sermon encourages hearing. But discipleship, following Jesus, that, that encourages learning and growth and life change. Learning that God is with you always, no matter. Wash feet, get out of the pristine stained glass sanctuary and get into the streets and follow Jesus into, as one ministry we support here says, into the hard places. But in that stretch of scripture, Jesus said this, stay with us. It harkens back to Joseph, and I want you to think about it in your life. John 13, 7, Jesus replied to those disciples who were struggling to get it. Don't you understand now what I am doing? I'm sorry, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. I've seen a few of you take out your phones. I hope it's not distracting your worship, but you've taken a picture of the screen a couple times. This would be a good verse to capture or jot down. Jesus replying, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. So what does that mean? Here's what it means, I think, and I want to share it with you. It means to trust him. It means to let him do what he wants to do in you. Remember, it's not about building your platform. It's about laying down and sacrificing at the altar. Don't demand to understand now what he intends for you to understand later. When I was a kid, I don't know if anybody's going to remember this, it was little hard candies that no dentist would recommend, or maybe dentist would recommend them, if that's how that goes. But there was little hard candies. I had them in my pocket when I was a third, fourth, fifth grader, called now and laters. Anybody remember now and laters? I don't know if they still make them now and laters. You know, have a little now, a little later. 
And they go to the dentist. Go to the dentist now, go to the dentist later. A little bit now, a little bit later. Fun when it's a candy. But here's the thing, guys. That ain't just candy. According to Jesus, that's life. So you'll understand a little bit now and probably most of it later. See, we studied Joseph's life. We've done it for several weeks. We studied Joseph's life in the rearview mirror. One day, people might study your life in the rearview mirror. Your kids and grandkids and great-grandkids will talk about you. And they'll know your life historically. But when you're living in it, you're like, God, I want that now. I don't want later. I want now. Listen to me. Trust him. Let him do what he wants to do. Don't demand to understand now what he intends for you to understand later. Is that hard? I think that's hard. I think that could be about the hardest. I'm watching two friends suffer. Suffer greatly. And for one, there's this submission. It's a joy. It's not a lighthearted joy. They're not laughing at any of my cool jokes or clever lines, but there's a deep joy there. Joy in the midst of affliction and pain. And someone else wanting to lay it down and just give up. Angry. Fist shaking at God. This can be so difficult, but so rewarding. Let him do what he wants to do in your life. And one day in this room, and those of you at home, we'll have stories. We'll have stories to tell of when we were in the pit, when we were the servants, when we were the one who was frustrated and forgotten and tempted and hated and accused. But it worked out, and God produced something. Five years ago was a hard time in my life. I've shared with some of you, I was hit hard on, a multiple, on multiple fronts. So much so that I wanted to quit. I don't know if I got close to it, but I wanted to. I had the spiritual gift of pouting, and my wife was there to jolt me and to remind me and to say hard things like, Robert, let God do what he wants to do in you. And thank God for the sanctification in her life that was ahead of the sanctification in my life. And she reminded me that this would be the forming and the shaping of a better man and leader. And I've seen it, but I didn't see it then. Our fourth year in marriage, man, I walked us into a beautiful city, but I walked us in over our head. I had a grand scheme, a big dream, and I almost sent us right into financial, into a financial pit. The dot-com had dot-bombed in 1999. And all these promises that people made to me fell to the wayside. And this dream that I had fell. And my wife saw me in a pit. She saw me cry. She saw me pound the table. She saw me question the goodness of God. But today I can, I can, I can give you 16 to 18 to 20 lessons of the things that God did in me then, the things that I've learned that make me better today. And even some along the way that have sought to hurt me. You know what you do? You give that to God. Do you remember last week I shared with you how you have a few options when it comes to bitterness? You can, you can repress it. That never works. You can, re- you can rehearse it. And that just adds to the pain. Or you can, 
you can release it. But here's the thing about release. Kind of read it from this guy in this book that some of you may want to grab. He says that when you release something, it's not into some meaningless, arbitrary, random pit of bad feelings. You're actually releasing it. Ready for this? You're releasing it to God. Jesus, like Joseph, they sought to murder him. They did murder Jesus, but both men in their darkest hour prayed. But they didn't look at the criminals directly. Stephen in Acts 7, he didn't look at the criminals, the murderers directly when he was stoned, this early follower of Jesus. He didn't look at them and say, I forgive you. He looked at the Father and said, Father, forgive them. And you see, some of you are having the hardest time. I heard from a couple of you this week. The hardest time, the the most difficult moments of pain and betrayal, the very thing that you can't get past and can't forgive and can't release, you may not reach that level of forgiveness now. But I'm telling you, don't limit God because you can't, maybe you can't go to that person at first and say, I forgive you, but you can look to the Father and say, Father, forgive them. And that's a massive part of a healing process for some of you in a deep abyss. As our team makes their way to lead us, um, I want to pray for you and pray over you. Whatever posture you is best for you in prayer, would you, would you take that now? And would you again and prayerfully ask the question, how would your outlook on life change if you believed, really believed, that God was with you always? Feast or famine? Would you prayerfully ask him to move you further along? You know, some the hardest people to preach to oftentimes are the people who've heard it a lot. And you may be proud and think you're too good to hear a preacher challenge you and ask you if you believe in God, that God is with you always. But you know, you could be going through the motions, a leader, a pillar in the community, even in the church, and you're just doing that. You're on cruise control, autopilot, no longer communing with the Father, no longer trusting Him with pain, no longer releasing. You've given up on this gift that frees like no other, this gift of forgiveness. Lord, I pray that you would help us be people who embody not just the life of Joseph, of course, but ultimately the life of Jesus. You are serious. And Jesus, you teach us of a a tender and terrifying God, tender, our Father in heaven, terrifying, hallowed be thy name. And God, you are lavishly, generously good and loving. And you are perfectly just. 
and you're serious that you call us not to self-righteousness but self-awareness to not just think about getting into heaven later but bringing heaven to earth now and we're not going to be able to do that with pain and resentment and adding to this culture of anger and following the world and all of its treasures and seeking to build our own platform. So God, thank you for pits. Thank you for pain. Thank you for times when we are truly not in control of our destiny and we know it. But God, I thank you for times of waiting and I thank you for dreams. And I thank you for when, after we have waited, even though that's been detoured and thwarted, we can see dreams come true. God, your word is good and your word is true and let it be true in us, in Jesus. Would you stand and would you sing and after we sing one more thing before you go.